This is Meatless, a podcast about eating from how we get to next. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show asks the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talk to Isanet Batista, who began the worker cooperative Woke Foods, which creates plant-based Dominican cuisine. Batista is also deeply involved in social and food justice work and is studying farm working in the hopes of one day having her own farm in the Dominican Republic. We talk about a speech she gave at City Hall, the naturally vegan nature of Dominican food, and what it's like to operate as a cooperative. Thank you so much for being here, Ethanette. Thank you for having me. I know you just came from City Hall and you have really squeezed us in today and I appreciate that. Um, what were you doing at City Hall today? Today we were speaking against um, Amazon uh, headquarters coming to Long Island City. So it was a group of folks who were saying no to Amazon and trying to convince city and state elected officials, um, especially the mayor and the governor, to retract from giving um, the richest man in the world $3 billion to bring Amazon here. And there were folks from Amazon that have been treated, workers from Amazon that have been treated unfairly and have had pretty terrible working conditions. And then there was people from... Um, different small businesses like me and so we were speaking out and letting state and city elected officials to support small businesses and worker cooperatives so that we can um, succeed in the city. Right and uh, I've noticed you mentioned cooperatives a lot could you kind of define what a worker cooperative is? For sure I think that's something uh something that not a lot of people know about or not enough people know about. So worker cooperatives are businesses that are owned and ran by the employees. And so it's a way to have democratically ran businesses where uh, every person has one vote and you're sort of making decisions together. You're creating your wages or your salary together and, um, figuring out what works best for the collective versus just a CEO or an executive director of a company. Right, right, right. And you're wearing Black Panther uh, <laughs> People's Free Food Program earrings that are yeah. amazing. Why is it significant to you to wear those earrings while talking at City Hall about something that people might think that has nothing to do with food? Yeah, so I'm actually wearing these earrings last night because I was speaking uh, to a, a, a class about um, farming and worker co-ops and so I happened to like wear them again today but I think for one of the things I mentioned in my speech that I gave a few minutes ago was the importance for more support of people on the ground doing this work and so the Black Panther is a perfect example of folks black people coming together and saying the government, the city, the state is not giving our community what we need, so we're going to create it. And so something like a free food program that is now a, a standard for the United States and so many other things that have been started by people on the ground, no, not people that are serving um, 
are, are sitting on a city or a state level, but are really about the people and for the people. And so for me, that's that's important. Even though I have a, a business now, the, our, my business is very rooted in the needs of, of me and my and my people. Right, right, right. And do you have employees? Is your is Woke Foods run as a cooperative? Yeah, we're run as a worker co-op. Um, right now, we don't. We have more um, contractors than worker owners because they're on a track to worker ownership. So they have like a few more months to go, and then we can start the process of doing the paperwork for them to be worker owners. Cool. And so what is the process like of, of starting as a contractor and moving into that sort of position? So every worker co-op is different. For Woke Foods, we have a 10-month provisional period. So you come in as an independent contractor, you do a 1099, you sort of get paid in that way. And then after 10 months, we sit down and figure out if Woke Foods is the right fit for that person and if that person is the right fit for Woke Foods, given that you're going to be owning a business. Right. Um, and it's not just like you can come in and come out. It's like legal and paperwork. So that's why we have a 10-month um, provisional period. That's cool. So... Uh, to kind of rewind a little, uh, can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Sure. I was born in New York City, in Harlem, on 135th and Broadway, or at least that's where my family lives. And I, growing up, I lived all over from what is now called Hamilton Heights to, I grew up in, I lived in Washington Heights, in different parts of, like, northern Manhattan, and then when I was 13, I moved to Florida with my mom because she wanted, she like said, like, I want to like leave this bad area <laughs> <laughs> and she wanted like better opportunities um, for her and, my, and me. So I grew up eating, I think, in both places, um, food that my grandmother would make me in New York or if... My mother and my grandmother and my aunts weren't able to cook for me. We, I did grow up eating a lot of Chinese food and pizza because mm -hmm. that's what was like available um, in, my, in my block or also like crown, crown fried chicken. <laughs> and then in Florida, when I lived in Florida, my mom was diagnosed with um, kidney stones and a few other health issues. So her diet kind of changed and I had to adapt to her diet. So like we stopped eating red meat and started to stop drinking soda. And so seeing her sick, that's when I started learning about how diet impacts health. Right. And I was like, oh, so I noticed, oh, you're sick and your doctor's telling you to stop eating some things and start eating other things. So there, that's why I started make the, making the connection between food and health. Right. And so when did you decide to give up meat completely? So I want I I attempted to give up meat when I was in high school, but I I couldn't because I sort of had to eat what was right. in my house. Same. And so, and then when I graduated college, I felt like I had more autonomy. I was making my own money, and I could sort of go shopping on my own. And I found this. Um, 
program called the Vegan Pledge, and it was being hosted by the Peace Advocacy Network. And the whole idea was you would go vegan for a month, and every Sunday you would have like a support meeting with a group of these people that were also doing the Vegan Pledge review. You would also get like a mentor that would like guide you through the month. And so, uh, so happened that my mentor ended up being a Dominican woman. I'm from the Dominican Republic, and um, she was great. Like she taught me all about. Um, and that like taught me, but like showed me or opened my eyes to all the ways that Dominican food was very much plant-based and vegan. And so that's sort of where I was like, oh, I don't think I want to eat meat anymore. And then I sort of struggled and went like back and forth. And then I ended up moving to the Dominican Republic like a year after that. And I got sick from eating meat and so got parasites. So I decided to... Um, eat more healthy, eat more plant-based foods and use food as medicine. So like using papaya seeds and garlic and honey and different anti-parasitic foods to like heal my body from um, these parasites, specifically it has salmonella and amoebas. And sort of that's sort of like the journey started and that was in 2014. Okay, cool. And then so what was your road toward working in food? Like, mm -hmm. did you work in food before you started your business or... Yeah, I went to college um, and studied hospitality. And throughout college, I worked at Brown. I went to school in Providence. So I, I worked catering at Brown University. I worked um, as a cashier in like the food dining hall at RISD. And, um, and yeah, like just worked in, in the food and the hotel business since I was 16. So mm -hmm. even before going to college I was part of a hospitality program in high school so would always like work in in the hospitality field so when I first heard of woke foods um it was from a, a piece by Catherine Hernandez in medium and she said that you launched the company with two hundred dollars so can you tell me what inspired woke food specifically and uh what the challenges were like for getting it off the ground a few things inspired Woke Foods to get started. And yeah, I want to definitely give a shout out to Catherine for writing that. Because um, I think a lot of people learned about Woke Foods from that article and and it being shared many, mm -hmm. di many different times. So Woke Foods started during a time where I was organizing, community organizing with a group of um, like first generation or second generation Dominican women in Washington Heights. Um, it was a group organized by Heidi Lopez, a longtime community organizer from the Heights. And in that organizing group, we were discussing a lot of the intersections of racial equity and organizing. And a big part of that was sort of us healing our body or, or us healing trauma by using foods and using herbs and figuring out what were the things that we needed to return to to connect with our people and our people's roots. And like one of them being growing your own food, cooking collectively, um, figure, figuring out skills where you could depend on each other versus like other systems. Mm -hmm. And so... It was also at the same time that the movement for black lives was picking up and BLM started, or not started, but was getting more recognition. And the the term stay woke was going on, was going around a lot. And in full agreement of that, and also 
I, I and a few of my friends would always say, we also have to stay woke about our food. Um, and then that organizing group, I got to meet many other people. I got to meet folks that were doing food sovereignty work, like So Fire Farm and the Victory Bus Project and Wild Seed. And they were talking about the access to land that is not afforded to black and brown people and the ways that like that lands are, have been stolen from indigenous people from here, from the U.S. And... Yeah, these all these intersections made a lot of sense to me, and I've I was like, what what is something that I can do? And so I'll, the lane I chose was, well, I can create um, plant based foods for people in my community, people in Washington Heights, people in the South Bronx, um, people in East Harlem, basically the Bronx and Northern Manhattan, and that's sort of how woke food started. I was. Um, fresh out of AmeriCorps. So I was, I wasn't making, I was making like $900,000 a month. And so I was on food stamps. So I like used my food stamps money to buy the food at the farmer's market for like my first few jobs with Woke Foods. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so you do do a lot of work in farms and in farming and how does that intersect with both veganism and like the explicitly political work? that you do because I always want vegans or vegetarians to think more about farming and not unless about like I don't know like fake cheese for, you know <laughs> like 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 can we like work more with the land than with like thinking about you know like putting veganese on something you know right well I'm definitely uh very very beginning beginning stages of a farmer. I'm currently in farm school in New York City. I'm enrolled in the certificate program for urban agriculture. And I think in farm school and just even in the community that is food justice and, and farming for people of color, we're trying to have people understand that farmers of color, specifically um, immigrant farmers from Latin America and Southeast Asia and even the Caribbean are being exploited. So even if there are, you know, the, not all farms are, are doing, you know, animal husbandry or animal agriculture, they're also growing these organic fruits and vegetables that we get to enjoy. And so veganism and, and um, a vegetarian diet and a plant-based diet is not cruelty-free because a lot of these this produce is being grown in conditions where humans are being exploited or being harmed are also dying from pesticides that are being sprayed at the farm and sort of land on their skin and their body and they inhale that and over time they become sick and end up dying as young as 35 and even um, some farms I know that don't give them access to breaks or the bathroom is so far away they have to wear pampers on the field and so these are stories that are being shared but I don't think are being amplified enough as much as um, the treatment of, anim of of cruelty of animals is. And I'm not saying that we don't we have to prioritize one over the other, but I think they should be talked about um, together oh, and and as a way to like um, yeah, for us to like 
know better because when we know better, we do better. Of course, yeah. So uh, how did your family react to you going vegan? Was there any friction there or? I think they, I think they called my, my grandma called me ridiculous. (laughs) And then over time I just started not really trying to, I think in the beginning I was in a place of trying to convince them or, mm-hmm. and trying to have them understand. For me, it was like urgent. I was like, you know, our family members are dying or are, are really dependent on, on pharmaceuticals and these doctors. And there's so much trust put in, in these doctors that we're not really taking control of our own health. And so there was sort of this urgency and desperation in the beginning for me. But over time, I realized that I had to lead by example. And so I stopped the talking and started more the doing. Right. And have they changed how they react to it or? Yeah, they definitely don't, don't give me negative reactions anymore Mm -hmm. they are more accepting one of my grandmothers works with with me with book food so after Mm -hmm. this podcast I'm gonna go meet her because we have to prep for a catering event (laughs) and then um and it's you know she also she's also grateful for it because it provides um a job opportunity for her and my other grandmother she's you know she's getting more sick and more sick and she'll she'll say things like oh this is what I should be eating (laughs) and I'm just, I don't, I don't tell her you see or, or I told you so, but more like, yeah, this is something that you can buy here or I'll tell her how much I bought it for, or I'll buy extra and leave it for her in the fridge. So like about two, two or three months ago, I've, I went to see her and I found that she had made kale guisado, um, stewed kale, um, with the rice and beans. So I was like, okay, I think, I think they're catching on or they're seeing the, the benefit of it. Right, right, right. And you have talked about how Dominican food is, is naturally pretty plant-based. And also when I saw you last week at a panel at the Essex street market, uh, talking about African foodways and how they manifest in the diaspora, you said that Dominican food doesn't need to be decolonized. And so, like, as I kind of focus on Puerto Rican cuisine, which needs desperately to be decolonized, and as so does the whole island, but um, can you expand more on the idea that Dominican food is naturally plant-based and also doesn't need, you know, a big decolonization moment? Sure. So when enslaved people from Africa came to um, Quisqueya, Haiti, which then Columbus renamed um, Hispaniola, the, um, they brought seeds and brought different um, foods. So plantains, um, different like yams, malanga, ñame. I don't know how to say those in English, but <laughs> <laughs> like two, you know, yeah. tubers, root vegetables. And so... There were a few things that, like, the, the indigenous Taino people left. Um, I 
think particularly um, juca, cassava. But for the most part, a lot of our 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 ingredients, our produce comes from um, from West Africa. And so even the ways that we prepare our food, so the idea of mashing a root vegetable like a plantain, it comes from West Africa. So that's why we have um, mangu, which is mashed plantains. And in West Africa, they have fufu. And so sort of these um, ways of making food or even like the, I guess they call it food technology now, but <laughs> the ideas, the idea of like preserving certain foods. So um, smoking food, um, things that are ahumado or preserving food using salt. That's why a lot of our cheeses are like salty or even our desserts are like very dried fruit um, or preserved fruit or um, storing food under soil, or putting food like like um, sardines in oil. So the reason for this, so these sort of preservation techniques that um, enslaved people developed was because the, the climate was different. And so right now we still eat the same produce. We're still eating plantains. We're still eating juca. We're still eating aljama and yame and jaltia. Um, it's just being cooked different. So in about, like I think it was like around the, the 60s that a big like surge of commercializing our products um, started to happen. And so I I see now like my family cooking with um, the cubes to season the food or buying products from Goya that are like like the sofrito already prepared. But what we're not realizing is that these products have to um, or these companies choose to add a lot of preservatives and, and toxins to the ingredients so that they can travel across state lines and across islands. Mm -hmm. um, and so they can maintain a one-year, two-year shelf life. So if something is, <laughs> is staying, food is not supposed to like stay like preserved that long. And so the preservation techniques that are being used now are not are not natural, are not healthy for us. And so for me, I think it's more about decolonizing the way we prepare our foods and going back to the ways that we were preparing and preserving our foods, um, like the way our, our, our ancestors did, and really saying no to using um, products like Goya and like the other companies that have been like co-opting our food. Absolutely. So can you talk, you did live in the Dominican Republic sort of recently, right? And can yeah. you talk about what the agricultural food, food ways and systems are like there the, that maybe are different from what we might see here or? In many ways they're similar in terms of at least the issues of, of like labor and farming. And so similar to here, the Dominican Republic is has agreements with um, the Haitian government to bring um, people from Haiti to work the fields in the Dominican Republic, which is very similar to the U.S. and like the Braceros program. And even now they, um, the U.S. has like a rule that they 
if they cannot find workers in the U.S., they can put up advertisements across the different borders and other countries. Um, and it's and it's sort of like you need to try this many times. And if you show proof that you tried to get workers from the U.S. and you don't get any workers, and you can go recruit in other places. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's very similar in that way. That and so, but what happens is that the citizens of the Dominican Republic and also the U.S. like don't know about these about these laws and these and these agreements that governments get into, and so then there becomes a a fight for oh they're taking our jobs, right? And yeah, also very similar. Sometimes Dominican farm owners will call immigration on Haitian workers um, as a way to like not pay them for their work or their labor. And so what happens sometimes is that workers will like be violent towards the farm owners because they're not paying them their wages. Or we have issues around... Um, farm owners not paying their workers their pensions when they're getting ready to retire. So there's a lot of corruption in that area that is very racialized because of our neighboring island, ID. And people are sort of, have a lot of like anti-Haitian sentiment, mm-hmm. especially um, like the, the big industry that Haitian folks come to the DR to work is the agricultural industry. I think another big thing that happens in the DR is not being able, like they grow a lot of food, but it's exported. Mm. So like not a lot of the food, um, there's like a big um, food, there's a lot of food insecurity and a big hunger issue in the the island. But we grow so much food, such an abundance of fruits and vegetables, but there isn't like a lot of fruits and vegetables or a lot of produce and households. And so that's what I, I, what I experience living there and what I experience also like growing up and going back each summer. Um, And I'm hoping to return this summer to do more research with like other um, folks, especially women, Dominican women that are doing food justice work on the island. What kind of, food justice work is happening there? Um, there's a group um, called CONAMUCA. I think it stands for Conf- Confederación de Mujeres Agricultura or something like that. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's um, Dominican women organizing for peasant farmers to get um, access to land and also to end like violence and discrimination against campesina women. Um, I think here they call it peasant farmers. And their whole mission is if you teach people to grow their own food, then we can end hunger on the island. So that's sort of like the work that's being done. A lot of it is at the intersection of violence against mm-hmm. women and violence against darker skinned Dominicans or um, Dominican Haitian workers. Mm-hmm. How do does your like interest and work in food justice uh, come into what you do in Woke Foods? Well, in different ways. So one is labor justice. And so the first thing that we're able to do is pair workers, um, including myself, 20 an hour. 
that's so we start at 20 an hour and depending on what we're doing they can go up to 50 an hour so that's one way another way is prioritizing the hiring of women of color uh, particularly women that have barriers to accessing jobs whether it's a immigrant status or a criminal record there's also a priority of working alongside other cooperatives or other small businesses that are ran by people of color or queer people or trans people or non-binary folks. And so we have uh, one of our graphic designers that does a lot of work for us, um, runs a create a studio called Girasoles, and they're a non-binary person from Puerto Rico that came here right after the hurricane. Um, so we, like, prioritize hiring them when we need, like, work done. Um, or we prioritize doing our bookkeeping with a worker cooperative called ABC Bookkeeping. Um, we hire BK Packers and other um, person of color-owned company to do our delivery. And so figuring out what are the different areas of the business where we can like plug someone in or funnel money mm-hmm. into the, into that business. Or even um, when it's farming season, sourcing our ingredients from local um, farms and prioritizing, even like going beyond local farms, prioritizing the f- local farms that are ran by people of color and that we know they're being paid ethically and being treated well. Mm-hmm. So like looking at all the all the intersections of different things and, and either funneling money or partnering with those organizations. Another way is that we've, we, we were able to get a fiscal sponsorship um, and are now able to get grants. So we recently got a grant through Citizens Committee of New York to do free cooking classes for people living in affordable housing. And so the idea is to do um, free plant-based cooking classes and also they get to take home a bag of farm fresh food. So those classes are gonna start probably in April when farming season starts again. Um, And then we then we are able to do a lot of partnerships with other nonprofits where they pay us our wages Mm -hmm. so then we can then provide workshops for free to the people they serve. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Has there been any moment, because I know Woke Foods does so much, like you do classes and workshops and also catering. Mm -hmm. Um, Has there been a moment since you launched when you've, you've felt like, oh, wow, this is, I guess this is kind of like an emotional person, like, but like, when you were like, okay, this is going the way I wanted it to, and has it been going the way you wanted to? I had that moment on Sunday where I cried to my roommate because I've been going, 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 and on Sunday I I had a time to sit down and reflect, and I was like, wow, all the things that I initially had thought about are actually happening right now, and I didn't even notice because I was just trying to do it. And so I realized I'm doing it, we're doing it. And it feels really special. And also it's kind of tough. I think a lot of people of color that are business owners that are doing great things suffer from imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So that's something I struggle with. It's a challenge for me. And recently we got interviewed, I got interviewed by Forbes and this this past weekend when we had like the interview and the photo shoot and that's sort of 
what came up when I was like sharing the interview and I was and I was thinking when I first started Woke Foods, all the things that I wanted to do and all the pushback I got. So comments like, you're not going to save the world of catering. You're trying to do too much. Um, that's going to last maybe a bit, but it won't last a long time. And so we have proven a lot of things wrong. And now, you know, I don't do things to like you know, despite right. the the haters. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I understand why people think that way. So I'm not, I don't get upset when people say those things, but I do have a lot of hope and faith in the power of our people and creating the things that don't exist or going back to the ways that we did things before that worked very well before um, colonizers and people from Europe and places of power decided to come with their ideas and impose them onto us. Absolutely. What to you does, I mean, I've asked this question maybe once before, but what to you does kind of an anti-capitalist decolonized food system look like? Well, I think Woke Foods is part of the capitalist system. We're still a food business yeah. um, that is capitalizing and bringing money. So I do see Woke Foods as like a middle, a middle ground, sort of like if we are going to play capitalism, let's play it this way. Um, and so a decolonized anti-capitalist system is not an exchange of money it's maybe an exchange of time and resources it looks like indigenous people getting back their land it looks like reparations um this is the work that like so fire farm is doing reparations for um black and brown farmers um it looks like no like policy or rules or paperwork to <laughs> to like access what is our rights it looks like water being free and being clean and it looks like us use us being in a in a healthy relationship with our ecosystem and our planet and our mother earth where we're sort of following the natural ways that our ecosystem operates and not necessarily creating like these innovative I'm going to use quotation marks there um to fix issues that if we would just go back to how we how our ancestors did things we wouldn't be in the position we are now absolutely so when what do you hope uh now that you've had this moment where you've actually been able to sit down and say oh wow I'm doing exactly what I hoped to do what is it that uh, you see maybe in the next year Woke Foods doing? Well, uh, in the next year, I would like to have the opportunity to bring more work to Woke Foods because more work means more hours, more pay for the worker owners and the other employees of Woke Foods. I would love to have our cookbook um, published um, and also we're starting our, um, like a TV food show, um, amplifying the voices of people doing food justice work. Um, 
And so that's going to be sort of in the spring. And in the future, after that, because those are things that are kind of coming up soon or already in the works. But things that are not in the works is maybe Woke Foods having a place where people can come mm-hmm. eat. Whether that's a food truck or a brick and mortar or something where folks can come five days a week, maybe, and enjoy the food of Woke Foods. Thank you so much, Isa. Yeah, thank you.